Chapter 26 That night, Daniel waited until the house was dark and silent. Then, carrying a candle, he crept downstairs to Simon's library, determined to learn the truth about his family's history. Holding the candle high, Daniel could see that all four walls were covered from floor to ceiling with books. The air smelled musty, almost thick with dust from the old volumes. The floorboards creaked under Daniel's shoes as he crossed the room to get a closer look at the books. To Daniel's surprise, the first shelf he examined held books about magic, the dark arts, strange scientific journals, and volumes about astrology and foretelling the future. How strange that Simon should possess books of this nature, Daniel thought, moving the candle along the shelves. Did he and Angelica have a scientific interest in such matters? Daniel searched the library shelves for another twenty minutes but found nothing of interest, nothing that would reveal his family's history to him. Suddenly hungry and thirsty, he made his way to the kitchen with his candle. The old house creaked and groaned as he walked through the darkness. As if warning me away, he thought, feeling a chill. A glass of water satisfied his thirst. Then, moving the candle in front of him, Daniel made his way to the pantry behind the kitchen. Where are those ginger cookies we had at dinner? He whispered to himself. He heard the soft scrabble of padded feet. The kitchen cat, no doubt, chasing after a mouse. He moved the candle over the shelves of tins and jars. No cookies. Something beyond the pantry shelves caught his attention. A crack in the wall formed a shadow in the flickering candlelight. Curious, Daniel pressed on the crack and the wall slid back. A hidden doorway, Daniel realized. His heart beating excitedly, he pushed the door open farther and slipped inside. He found himself in a low-ceilinged narrow room. Holding the candle high, he saw two pillows on the floor, stained by dark mildew, a bundled-up blanket, a girl's doll. How strange, Daniel thought, bending to pick up the doll. Its dress was covered with dust. Its round, blue eyes stared up at him in the candlelight. Whose doll was this? Daniel wondered, setting it down on one of the pillows. Who used this hidden room? Judging by the dust and mildew, it hadn't been occupied in many years. He kicked at the blanket, raising a cloud of dust. His shoe hit something solid underneath. How strange, how strange, he muttered to himself. He pulled the blanket away and lowered the candle. The light fell over a large, dark-covered book. Bending to examine it, Daniel saw that it was an old Bible. The spine was cracked. The tattered pages smelled of mildew and decay. This Bible looks as if it has been in the family for many generations, Daniel thought. Why has it been hidden under a blanket in this secret room? Kneeling on a dusty floor, he began searching through the pages with his free hand. In the back of the Bible, he found what he was searching for, a family history. Tattered, brown-stained pages held the scrawled handwriting of his ancestors. Daniel's eyes eagerly rolled over names and dates, births and deaths. He saw the date 1692 and read the names Matthew and Benjamin Fear, Wickham, Massachusetts Colony. Our name was spelled differently then, Daniel realized. I wonder when the change was made, and why. His eyes eagerly searched the page, reading about other fears. So many early deaths, Daniel realized, narrowing his eyes and lowering the candle as he struggled to make out the dates. So many deaths, sometimes two or three at a time. Bent over the old volume, he turned the page excitedly, his eyes running down the names and dates. Suddenly, the candle flickered. Strange, Daniel thought. There is no breeze in this tiny room. The candle flickered again. Had someone else entered the room? 
Daniel started to turn as a cold hand was tightly clamped over his mouth. Chapter 27 Daniel tried to cry out, but the hand gripped tighter. Shh, do not make a sound, a voice whispered. The cold hand slipped away. Daniel turned to see Mrs. Mackenzie staring down at him, her glazed-over eye catching the light from his trembling candle. She gave him a strange smile. Is it the family history you are looking for? she whispered, lowering her good eye to the Bible on the floor. You have no need of books, young master. I will tell you all. But what is this room? Why is the family Bible hidden here? Daniel stammered, climbing unsteadily to his feet. I thought it would be safe here, the old housekeeper replied. This is a secret room. Your aunts, Simon's poor daughters, Hannah and Julia, may they rest in peace, would hide in here to whisper and giggle together. They thought I did not know about this room, but I did. How did they die? Daniel demanded. The old woman raised a finger to her lips. The curse of the fears caught up with them. Then my family is cursed, Daniel cried. His trembling voice revealed his horror. Follow me, Mrs. Mackenzie whispered. I shall reveal all to you tonight. He followed her through the dark, twisting halls to her quarters. There, in her tiny, nearly bare room, she motioned with her cane. Sit you down, the old woman whispered, shoving him toward the high-backed armchair. I will tell you about the fears, more than you wish to know. The family is really cursed, Daniel asked again, obediently lowering himself to the chair, staring intently at the old lady in the flickering candlelight. Are the stories true? Mrs. Mackenzie nodded, leaning on her cane. The curse came about because of your first relatives in the New World. Their names were Matthew and Benjamin Fear. I saw those names in the Bible, Daniel told her. They were treacherous men, ambitious. They did not care who they betrayed, the old woman rasped, scowling. And the curse, it came about because of them. They burned a young woman at the stake, the fears did, Mrs. Mackenzie told him, tapping her cane on the carpet in rhythm with her words. They burned an innocent young woman. Her heartbroken father put a curse on your family. From that day on, the old woman continued, the two families have sought vengeance on each other. Decade after decade, generation after generation, the two families have used all of the evil at their command. They have terrified and betrayed and murdered each other. She proceeded to tell him the stories of vengeance and betrayal. Daniel listened in chilled silence. Her croaking voice etched the scenes of terror deep into his mind. And my grandfather, Daniel asked finally, astounded by the old woman's stories. Simon Fear thought he could escape the curse by changing the family name, but it followed him. It found him. His young daughters died a horrible death because of it. The candle trembled in Daniel's hand. He set it down on the arm of the chair. Joseph, your father, watched his sister Hannah die. He knew from that moment on that he had to get away from this house, from this village. His brother, Robert, did not get away. He died of a strange fever, many said brought on by a spell from his evil daughter-in-law, Sarah Fear. The other brother, Brandon, and his son, Ben, they just wandered into the woods and disappeared. The curse of the two families continues to this day, the old woman said, shaking her head. The other family, Daniel whispered, what is their name? Mrs. Mackenzie hesitated. She coughed, leaning on her cane. Mrs. Mackenzie, please tell me, Daniel urged. 
What is the name of the other family, the family that has cursed mine? Their name is Good, the old woman revealed. Daniel guessed. Good. But that cannot be, he sputtered. Mrs. Mackenzie, I am in love with a Good, Nora Good. She cannot possibly be related to the evil family who— She is a Good, the housekeeper replied solemnly, staring hard at Daniel, leaning into the candlelight. No, Daniel cried, leaping to his feet. No, I cannot accept this. Nora is kind and gentle. She is innocent of any evil. I am certain she knows nothing of this curse. Perhaps she does not know, Mrs. Mackenzie replied, leaning on the cane. Perhaps you and she will be the ones to break the curse. Break the curse, Daniel asked eagerly. He grabbed the old woman. Break the curse. How? If a fear and a good were to marry, Mrs. Mackenzie said thoughtfully. Yes, Daniel cried his voice cutting through the heavy, musty air. Yes, thank you, Mrs. Mackenzie. That is what I shall do, and the curse will end forever. The next morning passed so slowly, Daniel felt as if time were standing still. Pacing his room, he repeatedly checked his pocket watch, waiting for the time when Nora finished work. Downstairs, preparations for Simon's birthday party were underway. The party was scheduled for that evening, Simon and Angelica had not emerged from their rooms, but a line of carts and carriages pulled up to the back entrance, carrying food and drink and flowers for the celebration. At a little after three, Daniel set off, walking toward town. It was a lengthy walk along a dirt path that led through woods, fields, then finally small houses before reaching the town square, but Daniel enjoyed the walk. It gave him a chance to think of Nora and to rehearse what he planned to say to her. It was a warm day for autumn almost summer-like. Daniel unbuttoned his heavy overcoat as he walked. After several minutes more, he removed it and slung it over his shoulder. When the low brick buildings of the town square came into view, Daniel's heart began to pound. He had rehearsed his marriage proposal again and again, repeating the words in his mind. But what, he wondered, would Nora's reaction be? Daniel knew that Nora liked him and cared about him, but what would happen when he revealed to her that he was a fear what would happen when he told her the long tragic history of their families, when he told her that their marriage would end a centuries-old curse on their families? Would she be horrified or overjoyed? Taking a deep breath, he shifted the coat to his other shoulder and crossed the unpaved street, taking long strides. The white clapboard general store came into view. Daniel felt as if his heart would burst. He stepped onto the sidewalk and stopped short. The store window was boarded over with pine boards. The door, normally empty, was shut. Behind the small window in the door, the store was dark as night and empty. Nora is gone, Daniel realized. Chapter 28 Daniel staggered back, nearly toppling over. Where is she? he cried, staring in horror at the boarded-up store. Where has she gone? He stood, trying to make sense of his frantic, rambling thoughts trying to decide what to do next. How could she disappear overnight, vanish into thin air? As he stood in shock and dismay, a voice floated toward him, calling him. Daniel! Daniel! Nora's voice. He uttered a low cry of surprise, then held his breath, listening hard. Again he heard her voice. Again he could hear her calling his name from far away, so far away, so faint and far away that it could be the wind or his imagination. Daniel! Daniel, 
Nora, I hear you, he cried frantically. Where are you? Where? He listened again. It is my imagination, he decided miserably. His shoulders slumped forward. The sky darkened. He felt like collapsing into the dirt. Daniel! Daniel! The faint, faraway cries were going to drive him mad. Daniel! Daniel! Desperately, Nora called to him, pounding on the frame of her bedroom window above the store until her fists throbbed with pain. Look up! Why don't you look up? she pleaded, watching Daniel, his face darkened by shock and grief. Daniel! Daniel! Up here! she screamed. Finally, he glanced up. Finally, he saw her. Nora! She could hear his happy cry through the glass. Wiping away her tears, she pointed frantically to the narrow balcony outside her second-floor window. It took him only a few seconds to realize she wanted him to climb the drainpipe to the balcony. She watched as he tossed his heavy coat to the ground, grabbed the pipe with both hands, and began to pull himself up. Behind him, she saw, the village square stood empty, except for a large yellow hound dog sleeping in the middle of the street. Hurry! Please hurry! Nora begged, her hands pressed against the thick window pane. A short while later, he was standing outside her window, breathing hard. He stared in at her tear-stained face. Nora, what has happened? he demanded. Open the window. I cannot, she called out to him. My father has locked it. I am locked in my room. She watched him grip the frame and struggle to pry it up. It wouldn't budge. With a loud groan, he pressed his shoulder against the glass and leaned with all his weight. The pain remained in place. Nora leapt back as Daniel heaved his shoulder into the pain again. She cried out as the glass fell into her room. It landed flat on her feet without shattering. With a happy cry, Daniel burst through the opening and swept Nora into his arms. Daniel! Daniel, I thought I would never see you again, Nora cried, pressing her damp cheek against his. He hugged her tight. Nora, what has happened? Why has your father locked you in here? She held on to him for a moment, as if proving to herself that he was solid, that he was real. Father locked me in to make sure I would never see you again. He has gone to the next town to make arrangements. He is taking us far away, Daniel. Far away? Daniel uttered a cry of surprise. But why, Nora? He found out that you are a fear, Nora replied, her body trembling, tears rolling down her flushed cheeks. So you know, Daniel said, feeling his pulse throb at his temples. You know I am a member of that cursed family. I know and I do not care, Nora declared. I love you, Daniel. I do not care anything about your family or its past. I love you too, Nora, Daniel cried, and they embraced again. But you must know the story of our families. You must know all about the curse. No, take me away from here, Nora pleaded, her voice trembling. For Father will never allow us to be together. He will be back in an hour or two, and then— That is enough time for me to tell the story, Daniel insisted, and then we will be married. Yes, Nora agreed, squeezing his hand. Oh, yes, Daniel, they kissed. Holding her hands tightly, Daniel revealed to Nora the tragic history of the fears and the goods. She listened in horrified silence, leaning her head against his shoulder. So many deaths, so much murder and betrayal, she murmured when Daniel had finished. Does this mean that you will not marry me? he asked, his eyes burning into hers. We must be married at once, she replied breathlessly. We must end the curse forever. Daniel cried out in happiness. I passed by the house of the town justice on my way here. I know he will marry us. Nora's smile faded. She gazed at him uncertainly. But, Daniel, we have no ring to bind a ceremony. Daniel let go of her hand. His expression turned thoughtful. No ring, he muttered, frowning. Oh, wait. 
He reached behind his neck and pulled off the silver three-clawed pendant. This will serve as a ring, Nora, he proclaimed excitedly. What a strange object, Nora cried, staring at it. Where did you get it? It is of no concern, Daniel replied excitedly. It will serve as a ring. He raised the silver disc to slip the chain around her neck. As she arranged the pendant, Nora felt a sudden surge of heat at her chest and thought she saw flames rising up around the room. The strange image lasted only a few seconds. When it cleared, Daniel was pulling her by the hand toward the window to make their escape. Tonight is my grandfather Simon's 75th birthday party, Daniel told her, helping her onto the tiny balcony outside the window. We will announce our marriage at the party. Oh, Daniel, Nora cried, lingering at the window. What will your grandfather say? What if our announcement angers him or makes him unhappy? He can only be joyful. That a centuries-old curse has ended, Daniel replied, smiling, his dark eyes flashing excitedly. Come, Nora, hurry. Tonight will be a night we will long remember. Chapter 29 That night, Daniel walked with his new bride through the gloomy halls of his grandfather's mansion. Daniel, this house, it frightens me, Nora whispered. We shall not stay long, dear wife, Daniel told her, squeezing her hand. We will leave after the birthday party, I promise. We will not even stay the night. Nora stayed close by his side as he led her through the dark corridors of Simon Fear's house. The house is so dark, so cold, she whispered. Try not to think gloomy thoughts, he urged as the pantry came into view. After all, we are married, and after a few hours, we will never need to return to this dreary place again. Mrs. Mackenzie and more than a dozen helpers, hired from another town for the evening, were bustling about in the kitchen, preparing the food and drink for the birthday party. But the old housekeeper stopped to stare as Daniel led Nora into the room. Mrs. Mackenzie, this is my wife Nora, Daniel announced, unable to keep a wide, excited grin from his face. Nora good, the old woman muttered, studying Nora intently with her one good eye. Then she smiled too. I wish you both joy, she said. Please take care of Nora while I tend to my grandparents, Daniel asked, still holding his bride's hand. When the time is right, I plan to announce our marriage. He turned before the housekeeper could react, and hurried to greet Simon and Angelica in the ballroom. Daniel stopped in surprise at one entrance to the ballroom. Where are the guests? he asked himself. The enormous room was empty. Hundreds of glimmering candles sent a wash of pale light over the walls, festooned with white and yellow flowers. Daniel's footsteps echoed loudly in the vast emptiness as he crossed the room to greet his grandparents. The party was scheduled to have begun more than an hour ago, he remembered. Was it possible that no one had come? As far as Daniel had been able to tell during the weeks of his visit, his grandparents had no friends. The Fear Mansion had been closed to all visitors for thirty-five years. Did Simon and Angelica expect people to come? Had they invited anyone? Anyone besides Daniel? Daniel felt a chill of horror. Am I really the only guest at this eerie party? Hello, he called, trying to sound cheerful, but his voice echoed mournfully in the enormous empty space. His grandparents hovered near the door. Angelica wore a solemn-looking black dress more suited to a funeral than a birthday party. Her long white hair was tied behind her head with a black ribbon. Daniel hesitated and gaped at his grandmother. Angelica was going through the motions of welcoming guests. So good to see you, she repeated with a smile, nodding her head at empty air. So nice of you to come. Daniel swallowed hard. She has entirely lost her senses, he told himself. 
watching her smiling and carrying on a conversation with no one at all. Simon, his dark eyes glowing excitedly behind his spectacles, his face flushed in the candlelight, stared eagerly at the open doorway. He leaned forward in his wheelchair, an expectant smile frozen on his face, as if eager to see who would arrive next. Daniel took a deep breath. I guess I had better go along with the charade, he told himself with a shudder. Happy birthday, grandfather, he called warmly, rushing up to the wheelchair and shaking Simon's hand. Simon's hand was as cold as ice. Thank you, my boy, he replied. I am happy that at least one member of my family saw fit to attend this occasion, he added with some bitterness. Daniel moved over to greet Angelica. Did you come with the Bridgers? she asked. She stared at him as if she had never seen him before. You, uh, look lovely tonight, grandmother, Daniel managed to say. Don't just stand there. Why don't you mingle with our guests, Angelica demanded. She turned away from him and stuck out her gloved hand. So good of you to come, she gushed, to no one at all. And how are your lovely daughters? Simon continued to stare at the doorway, the expectant smile frozen on his face. Daniel stepped quickly to the wall, his shoes pounding like thunder in the empty ballroom. What should I do, he wondered. They are mad, completely mad, both of them. Should I bring Nora out and introduce her now? Shall I tell them that Nora and I have married? Or should I take Nora and flee this frightening place? No, I cannot run. I must stay and tell them. Watching Simon from across the room, Daniel wondered how the old man would react. A fear had married a good. Today, on Simon's birthday, the ancient feud between the two families had ended. Hundreds of years of bitterness, of treachery, of evil had come to an end. The fears and the goods would be one family now. Will my grandfather share my joy? Daniel wondered. Daniel heard a rumbling from the far end of the ballroom. He glanced up to see a birthday cake being wheeled in on a cart. It was an enormous round cake, three tall tiers, frosted in white and yellow. On top were seventy-five candles, creating a blaze of yellow light that shimmered over the cake. This is absurd, Daniel thought. Such a magnificent cake for such an empty celebration. Who would bring such a cake into a tomb? A tomb? I've got to get Nora now, he decided. I will tell my grandparents my news, and then Nora and I will flee into the night, never to return. As the hired servants slowly wheeled the cake towards Simon and Angelica, Daniel hurried to the pantry to retrieve Nora. Holding her hand tightly, he pulled her into the ballroom. In the gloomy, eerie silence, Simon was preparing to blow out the candles, his face red in the glow from seventy-five candles. Nora resisted, but Daniel pulled her across the empty ballroom. Squeezing her hand, he gave her a reassuring smile. She looked so beautiful, Daniel thought. Nora wore a simple pale blue dress with a lacy white collar. The silver three-toed pendant glowed at her throat. Grandfather, grandmother, I have an announcement to make, Daniel declared, his voice booming in the empty room. Nora lingered just behind him. Daniel saw Simon's eyes narrow. Simon was staring at the pendant at Nora's throat. What is this? he stammered. Holding tightly to Nora's hand, Daniel took a deep breath. Grandfather, on this happy occasion, I would like to introduce my wife to you. I have married Nora Good. Chapter 30 No! A hideous wail, a cry of anguish and of horror, rose over the ballroom, causing a thousand candles to flicker and bend low. It took Nora a long while to realize that the howl had come from Simon Fear. Frightened, she took a few steps back as Simon Fear rose from his wheelchair, 
The old man's eyes were wide with horror. He pointed a trembling finger at the three-clawed disc around Nora's throat. No! Another animal howl escaped Simon's lips. Still pointing, he staggered toward her. But his legs would not support him. He stumbled. Trying to steady himself, he leaned against a cart and pushed over the cake. Angelica began to shriek as the enormous cake splattered to the floor. Daniel, what shall we do? Nora cried, but her words were drowned out by yet another howl from Simon and by Angelica's shrill cries. Daniel, what is happening? A small carpet caught fire first. Then the entire room was ablaze, as if all the candles in the ballroom had suddenly fallen and flared into tall flames. Daniel, please, Daniel! She couldn't see him. He was hidden behind a bright wall of fire only feet from her. Flames leapt from the floor and danced off the four walls. How could the room be burning so quickly, Nora wondered, choking on the thick smoke, choking on her fear. Daniel? Daniel? It was so bright, so blindingly bright. As she stared into the flames, surrounded by screams and terrified cries, Nora saw a struggling figure emerge from the yellow-orange brightness. Daniel? Where are you? The figure grew closer, clearer. Nora raised her hand to her mouth as she realized she was staring at a girl about her age, a girl struggling against a dark wooden stake, surrounded by flames, a girl burning, 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 screaming as she burned. Susanna Good burned at the stake beside her mother, and as Nora gaped in open-mouthed horror, other tortured figures invaded the room, rising up through the crackling, blistering flames. Nora saw Rebecca fear, her neck broken, hanging by a rope from a dark rafter, Old Benjamin Fear rose into the room, impaled like a scarecrow, a wooden shaft pushed up through the back of his skull. Nora screamed and tried to shut her eyes, but she had to watch. She had to bear witness as the other victims of the past emerged in the burning ballroom. As she stared in silent horror, she saw Matthew and Constance Fear, skeletons behind their walled-up prison. William Good, his head exploded, his skull showing through rotted flesh, hovered into view. The ghost of little Abigail Good floated overhead. Abigail's mother, Jane, staggered stiffly after her, her face bloated from drowning. Kate Fear rose in front of them, a knitting needle through her heart. Hannah Fear came next, a sword through her chest. Then Nora saw Julia Fear, scratching the air, scratching at nothing, her fingernails cut and bleeding. Poor Julia, buried alive, but back now to join the other victims of the centuries. The victims... The phantoms of the past, fears and goods, roared around the room, their cries louder than the thunder of the flames. They swept round and round, faster, faster, until they became a raging whirlwind of pain, of brutal death. Daniel, where are you? Daniel! Nora stared into the swirling flame. Daniel! Oh, Daniel! Unable to find him, unable to endure the howls of the dead, their cries of agony as they swept around the room, Nora covered her eyes and fled. Moments later, she was in the cool darkness of the night, watching the blaze from the front lawn, trembling from the sudden cold, gripping the silver medallion with both hands as villagers made their way from town and gathered, muttering about the evil of the fears, about the centuries of evil that had led to this night, to this final fire. Daniel, please come out, Daniel. Nora called his name again and again. But as the flames raged, swallowing the fear mansion in their eerie light, and the terrifying howls rose up in the night like a symphony of pain and horror. Nora knew she would never see Daniel again. Epilogue Nora dipped her pen, but the inkwell had run dry. 
Yawning, she set down the pen and stared at the stack of pages she had written. Our marriage ended the feud between the fears and the good, she thought miserably, but not as we had intended. No one came out of the fire. Not Daniel. No one. The house burned for days until the fire finally smoldered out, leaving nothing but a black, charred shell in its place. Leaving the charred ruins of the fear mansion and a legacy of evil, evil that will hover over the entire village. This is why I have written my story, Nora thought, flexing her aching fingers. This is why I have spent the night writing down everything I know about the goods and the fears. Maybe someone reading this will be able to stop the evil before it rises again. They think I am insane, Nora realized. They think the fire and all I saw drove me mad. That is why they brought me to this insane asylum. That is why they locked me in this room. But I am not mad. My story had to be told. It had to be written. I had to stop the hideous evil. I had to. Glancing at the sunlight pouring through the window, Nora heard footsteps, voices in the hall. The door to her room opened. Two uniformed nurses entered. Their faces were solemn, their eyes cold. The doctors will see you now, Nora, one of them said softly. Yes, very well, Nora said, rising from the hard chair she had spent the night in. She lifted the heavy sheaf of papers from the small desk. Here. They must read this, she told the nurse. They must read the whole story. They must know about the evil. The evil will destroy us all, you see. They must know. Nowering her eyes, studying Nora's face, the nurse took Nora's pages and tossed them into the fire. No, Nora shrieked. She tried to dive after them, but the nurses held her back firmly. It is for your own good, Nora, one of them said softly. If the doctors saw what you have spent the entire night scribbling, they would lock you up and throw away the key. Nora stared at her pages as they caught flame and started to burn, sending thick white smoke up the chimney. You do not understand, she protested, tears forming in her tired eyes. The evil is still alive. The evil is still there. The word must get out. People must know. Come with us, Nora. The nurse's voice was soft, but her grip was hard and tight on Nora's arm. Come with us now. Try to forget your wild tale. Did you not hear the news? The other nurse asked brightly. This will surely cheer you, Nora. The fear mansion is gone, but the village is to build a road on the property. What? A road? Nora asked, feeling dazed. But the horror. No more horror, Nora. No more. The road will be lovely. It means that lovely houses will be built there, the nurse told her, edging her toward the door. And do you know what they're going to call the new road? What? Nora asked weakly. They're going to call it. Fear Street. This has been a Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Fear Street Sagas Trilogy, Book 3, The Burning, by R. L. Stein. This concludes the Fear Street Sagas Trilogy. Well, that was the conclusion of the Fear Street Sagas Trilogy. This is a good series overall. It explains the cause of the curse and the feud between the goods and the fears. I wish it wasn't so one-note, though. The entire plot of Book 2 was for the families to marry, because if they do, they can stop the evil once and for all. I mean, it's a good idea, but did we have to have the same plot rehashed twice in the same book? No, we didn't. They did this again in the second half of Book 3, too. But the added caveat was, Nora and Daniel actually do marry. And why did Daniel feel the need to tell Simon that he married a good? Did he think Simon would be happy to hear the news? 
he reacted the only way he knew how, and that was to attack. That was a huge miscalculation on Daniel's part, and it cost him his life. I believe Simon's last act was casting a spell that enabled the house to burn so quickly. A lot happened at that last part there. Knocking over the birthday cake was part of the spell and allowed the flames to engulf the house faster than it should have. This idea supports the observation that Nora made on how the flames were able to engulf the ballroom so quickly. I think Angelica spent so much of her time with the dark arts that she ended up losing her mind, and she began living in that world. She could actually see ghosts and demons and spirits and things like that, and I think she was greeting the dead Fear family members at the party when Daniel arrives, and that would explain why they were in the fire, and it also explains who she was talking to. I think the Fear family amulet protected Nora from the fire because she is the only one to survive that entire mess. The end of this book is a little odd. It sucks that what Nora has been working on, the entire history of the feud between the goods and the fears, is burned. But it does make sense, because if a psychiatrist sees her crazy writings, they're going to just lock her up and throw away the key. So the nurses did her a favor by burning her manuscript. But why does one of the nurses tell Nora that Shadyside is installing a street through the fear property? Who wants this street? Did Shadyside want the street to be built for years as a part of a major expansion or something? And Simon Fear was stalling it, and upon his death, they decided to move forward? Why wasn't Joseph Fear contacted? He's Daniel's father. He's an ex of kin. Doesn't he have a say to what happens to his own family property? Was Simon's property bequeathed to Shadyside upon his death? What's going on? I really want to know the economics behind that decision. And to further that, the Fear Mansion was regarded as being like the only thing in Shadyside to see. It was the only kind of tourist destination. And everyone in town is so terrified of the mansion, they won't go anywhere near it. The guy that gave Daniel a ride dropped him off at the front gate and said, I won't go any further than this. If you can't get a cabbie to get up to the front door, you certainly aren't going to be getting a pizza. You know what I mean? No one else is going to be bothering you. So I don't understand why Shadyside all of a sudden wants to build a street right through the fear of property or around it even. I don't understand that. It's not like they had a lot of, it's not like they had a whole lot of traffic and it's 1900 and cars were becoming more commonplace, but they were still crank start, you know, still to kickstart the car. So it's not like they had a whole lot of vehicles they had to put on a road and they needed a place to put them. Also, how many goods are left to carry on this curse? Wasn't Franklin the last good? Didn't Simon kill him at the end of book two? If Franklin had any children, the mother may have not have used his name so any remaining goods might be Baker's or Smith's or another last name. So where did Nora come from? I'm a little unclear on this. Because I don't know where the good line continues. We know that Joseph is a last fear, and that's probably where the Fear Street sagas picks up. And that brings me to another point. I will not be reading the Fear Street saga series. I have enough on my plate, and I do not have any interest in it. Look, guys, I love R.L. Stein. He's an excellent writer, but he writes for shock value, laughs, and screams. He isn't thinking about Shadyside developing land in the Fear Woods and the economics of the town. Shadyside builds Fear Street at the end of the saga's trilogy because that explains where Fear Street came from, not because anybody needs it or any kind of economic thing. Fear Street works because the series take place in a single town and the characters overlap between the stories. 
Every book is like a small anthology, and it's all set in the same universe. It's wonderful. I am approaching this series as a nearly 40-year-old adult, not a 14- to 18-year-old young adult. My worldview has changed because I am older. Arl Stein knows that, and he wrote these books for young adults that won't be asking economic questions, not for young audiences. I mean, not for mature audiences. So he won't be answering the questions of, why was Shadyside in such a hurry to build Fear Street? And who wants a street so close to a cursed part of town? Answering that in the Fear Street Psycho series. So these are questions I want answered, and I don't believe the Psycho series will be answering them, so I am skipping it. With all of that being said, and come on guys, I'm doing all of Fear Street, all the Fear Street Super Chillers, and the Point Horror stuff, and I did 99 Fear Street, the Fear Street Psychos Trilogy, and wait, I have one left. It's the Cataluna Chronicles. I think I should get started on that. With all that being said, this is a really good trilogy. It's my second favorite next to 99 Fear Street. But what should I do next after this book? Let me know. Please write me an email, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com. I'm on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe. Tell me anything. I love seeing what you have to say. All feedback is wonderful. So tell your friends, tell your mom, tell whoever you think would like to listen to me tell them tales from R.L. Stein. Thank you very much for listening, and I will see you next time.